You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Thursday, beautiful, beautiful Canada, coast to coast to coast. I'm Evan Solomon. Sam is here. Chris is here. Lots going on in the big show. You can check out our podcast. I never promote the podcast, but you can listen to The Evan Solomon Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen or subscribe and keep up. Uh, three big stories today. Three big stories we'll be covering today. Obviously, the first is the Queen. And the news from Buckingham Palace that father, following further evaluation, the Queen's doctors are concerned for Her Majesty's health and have recommended that she remain under medical supervision. The Queen is 96. The Queen has reigned for 70 years, as we all know. She now is in her estate in the Scottish Highlands, Balmoral Castle. She swore in her 15th prime minister, Liz Truss, two days ago there. She usually would come back to London, but she was obviously too ill to do so. All her children are rushing to her side right now. This is obviously quite serious. Prince Charles, who's the heir to the throne, and his wife Camilla. Prince William. The eldest son of Charles, obviously there. Princess Anne is going. Prince Andrew. Asterix. And, and, and Edward, because there's so much controversy surrounding Andrew, but he's there. On her 21st birthday, just listen to how long she's been with us. Not just you listening, but probably your parents and your grandparents. 70 years she's reigned. She was 21 years old on April 21st, 1947. And in a speech broadcast on the radio from Cape Town, the princess dedicated her life to the service of the Commonwealth. Let's listen. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family, to which we all belong. That was 1947, April 21st, 70 years later, plus um, she is still reigning. And, and look, the legacy, we have to split the legacy of, of what it means. There's lots of stability. There's lots of enormous benefits and there's universal admiration for the queen. There are many people who are Republicans who associate the queen and the monarchy with colonialism. I understand that, too. Look, this is this is an institution that is not universally beloved, but the queen is universally beloved. The institution is fraught with problems and controversies, but the queen is not. One of the things that makes Queen Elizabeth so beloved and so remarkable is that she has risen above the vulgar details of gossip and celebrity, the vicissitudes of politics over 70 years, and frankly, the indictment of what the monarchy as a colonial power has represented. But not her. Her dedication of public service is from an era long ago and inspires an era into the future. 
She is remarkable. And whether you're a supporter of the monarchy or not, and there's a real debate, and we're not going to have it today, about the need for a monarchy, whether we should be a republic, what they stand for, whether you want Prince Charles to become the king or not. Let us today just honor a person who for 70 years has done what she said 70 years ago in 1947 on April 21st, on her 21st birthday, where she said, however long I live, long or short, and it is an incredibly long and extraordinary life, I shall serve. And she has done just that unwaveringly. So we will see in the hours and days to come, as the Queen is obviously inside Balmoral, where she summers and, and, and their family and people are gathering. The Prime Minister has put out statements. Obviously, there's a, there's a great fear that, um, you know, when the Prime Minister says, my thoughts are, and, and the thoughts of Canadians across the country are with Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II at this time. We're wishing her well and sending our best to the royal family. That sums it up for everybody. So that's something that we'll follow today. What is happening inside there? What are the concerns? What does the transition mean? What will it mean for our currency? What will you start seeing? You'll start seeing Prime Minister with a black ribbon if she passes. You will start seeing a transitional, you know, the Prime Minister will have to suspend Parliament for a while. Things move on. You know, the Queen will remain on our $20 bill in circulation, but things will change. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. This is the the vigil. So we've got that. The other question we want to pick up on today are two. One, the killer is dead. Miles Sanderson at about 5.30 Eastern time yesterday was apprehended by the RCMP. Finally, after allegedly going on this horrific killing spree, killed 10, maybe also killed his brother, 11, and wounded 19 others. And, and tore our country apart, tore our community apart, tore our families apart. This guy had 59 criminal convictions. This guy was a menace, a danger, an addict. He had all sorts of red flags. Why? Why was he out? But here's the other thing. The RCMP, there's pictures of the RCMP having this guy in custody. They knew the car. I was on air on Power Play last night announcing the emergency alert that he'd had a white Chevy. They get the guy. And then he dies in custody from, quote, medical distress. The RCMP must give details. When you arrest a suspect, you search the suspect. How did he go into medical distress? Was he killed? Was he putting up an exertion? Did he poison himself? Did he take a pill? Was there drugs? We have no idea. Why? Because there's no transparency. Medical distress doesn't tell us anything. It is a smokescreen of meaninglessness. What happened when the suspect of this mass stabbing was in custody of the RCMP and then dies? How is it possible that we as Canadians can see him standing up? We see video. Here he is here in custody standing up and then he's dead. How did that happen? We're going to try to dig into that. Because it goes to the idea of transparency. And, and again, the RCMP deserve credit 
for apprehending this guy. This is not to dump on the RCMP, although there's questions as to the parole board and real questions. Why the hell did you release this guy? Let's get to that. But there are transparency issues that we know the RCMP suffer from. We know it from the Nova Scotia mass casualty investigation into the massacre there. And now, once again, we just have no transparency. Why, why, why? And then, of course, finally, as I railed uh, on the finance minister yesterday, Christian Freeland, who said her headline after a, a summer of touring was Canadians are working hard. Hashtag water is wet. Hashtag the sky is blue. We now hear that they finally have a, an affordability plan, and today it will be released. And it's going to be a, a $500 one-time top-up to the housing benefit. And there'll be a national care dental program that they promised. Now, that's all true, except these are old promises. This is part of their deal with the NDP. This is their pact. Will there be a GST rebate? We don't know. What, or maybe increase to the child benefit. But they are finally coming forward with, you know, what will be $300 million at first for the full dental care plan for children under the age of 12 and families with household incomes below 90000 bucks. It's going to cost about $1.7 billion eventually. So there's the inflation plan, the affordability plan. Does it work? Questions about the RCMP and, of course... The day is dedicated to Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. We'll take a short break and be right back. Time in your car doesn't have to be time-wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back to the program. All eyes on Balmoral Castle in Scotland where the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, long may she reign, 70 years, is apparently, according to Buckingham Palace, comfortable, but obviously in a serious medical condition enough that the family is gathering. And there's statements from all over the world concerned that the queen at the age of 96 is in deep distress as Buckingham Palace said, that the Queen's doctors are concerned for Her Majesty's health and recommended she remain under medical condition or supervision. Now, I'm going to play you a clip here of Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the House of Commons in the UK, who interrupted the debate on energy price plans and other critical um, political issues. They've got a new prime minister there. Liz Trust, who the Queen swore in just two days ago in Balmoral Castle in Scotland. Normally she'd come to London. She was too ill for that. But here's what the Speaker of the House in the UK said. I know I speak on behalf of the entire House when I say that we send our best wishes to Her Majesty the Queen and that she and the Royal Family are in our thoughts and prayers at this moment. 
one eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten one eight five five six three three ten ten or seven ten ten. Uh, we've got lots to talk about, but I just thought I'd open the lines up as people are trying to cope with news that the Queen um, is this ill. And does the Queen? What does the Queen mean to you? There will be questions if indeed the Queen passes. Will the passing of the Queen? Queen Elizabeth II at 96, would it mean your interest or faith in the monarchy is diminished? I do think questions about the monarchy are intimately tied to Queen Elizabeth, who represents the best of it, and I don't think people would ever insult her by suggesting that the monarchy should be ditched under her reign. But after, under Charles, is a different, the polls show it's very different. So if you want to call me at one 855 or 7-10-10, certainly you can. Um, what's happening inside Balmoral Castle right now as the family gathers, you can imagine, obviously, after losing her husband, Prince Philip, Queen Elizabeth, at the age of 96, who, look, we, she's 96. So all the normal ailments that accompany that remarkable age afflict the queen. But it has seemingly not kept her very often, although recently a little, from her duties. And her remarkable resiliency. What I like about the Queen, and again, I think people must separate the Queen. And I know this sounds, on the face of it, completely hypocritical. How do you separate the Queen from the monarchy? She's inextricably tied up with it. She is the monarchy. She is the Commonwealth. She is the head of state. But I think Queen Elizabeth II is different because she represents a type of dignity and elegance and work and symbol that is very hard to find these days. Where I think the institution of the monarchy has moved with her children and grandchildren from an institution of political stability and a political institution to a celebrity vehicle. Now, there's always been an element of celebrity when it comes to the monarchy, and they've always been shrouded with controversy, as you know, whether it was with abdications, uh, with Wallace Simpson, and we un- we understand that. There's a fascination and a celebrity. But the- Queen Elizabeth II rose above that, and her children have not, and her grandchildren have not. And so it would be unrealistic to say that things have dramatically changed. And she represents a certain type of monarchy and leadership that we don't have anymore. And I don't know if they can ever get it back. 70 years is not something to sniff at. Mike in Rexdale, what's up? Respect. 
I don't believe in the monarchy, but I have an endless amount of respect and admiration for the Queen. No world leader has met more world leaders, nor will anyone ever meet as many as she has. Everybody from the Dalai Lama to Idi Amin, and none of them took the, the, the shine away from her. And one thing I always thought was so admirable, when they asked her to re- leave England during the bombings, she didn't even leave London. Yeah. yeah. Rex, Rex, just stay, stay with me. I think you said something interesting. You said, I'm no fan of the monarchy, but I have endless amount of respect for the Queen. Rex, I, I think you've summed up for many people. Now, there's lots of monarchists out there, and I'm not dismissing that. But for many people who have no interest in people who are born with a silver spoon, uh, the idea of a class system, the idea of royalty and a monarchy is archaic and unfair. The idea that, uh, you know, the, the, the insufferable celebrity controversies around her children and grandchildren may or may not interest people outside of the prurient celebrity gossip. But the endless respect for Queen Elizabeth, I think, is almost universal, Rex. Absolutely it is. And, you know, if I was phoning as an American, as a Mexican, I would have no change in my uh, admiration for the woman. Yeah, Rex, thanks for the call, man. Uh, You you seem to be driving, but I think you're also driving exactly into the right spot here, which is, I think what you're about to see in the coming hours, days, and weeks is something that we have never seen in our lives. And it's difficult in a world of fragmented polarization where neighbors are pitted against neighbors, the left and right are barely talking. Democracies are in an us versus them shambolic mess. When there's rising challenges, whether it is China and Russia and wars and internal divisive and, and, and fears about new technology and debt and pandemics and climate change, whatever crisis you want. The Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, has been there. And she is a steadfast figure that has risen above that of some kind of unity. And we don't have very many of those things left. Those things have been torn down and ripped apart. And every time you think, wow, we're in the worst time ever, think about what Rex just said, the queen in London during the bombing, the queen ascending to the throne in 1947 when England was in rubble after the Second World War. And Europe was devastated. You think we have divisions now? What about division? I mean, look at the European Union is born out of that, where Germans and French and English are all working together after a horrific war where they were savaging, killing each other. The Holocaust. And yet things have changed. And the Queen has represented the ability to see beyond the divisions and to see time unfold and things change. She's the embodiment of that. The queen does not see the crisis of the moment. The queen sees the arc of time and stability. And that is why we love her. So we'll be following that. In the meantime, the tribal chief, Mark Arcand, who lost his sister in the massacre and his nephew, joins us next.
Authentic voices, real conversations. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. The news is focused on the death of the killer. Miles Sanderson is dead. He was arrested Wednesday. We don't know how. RCMP is tight-lipped, saying he died of medical distress. Four days of terror after Sanderson and his brother. Allegedly, they're the suspects in what was a deadly rampage, killing 10, injuring badly 19, devastating a community. But I don't want to talk about him. There will be time to deal with that. The mistake we often make is that we forget the victims. And it's their story that is more important. And Tribal Chief Mark Arcan is the Saskatoon tribal leader whose sister Bonnie and his nephew Greg, who you heard because we took Tribal Chief Arcan's message yesterday, live on the program. Greg was known as Jonesy. They were killed in the mass stabbings at the James Smith Cree First Nation. And the Tribal Chief Mark Arcan joins us now. Uh, first of all, our hearts... Our love goes to you. There's no words that can capture the scope of this tragedy, Chief Arcan, but you know the entire country is with you, your family, and your community. Um, just give us a sense now. I, I know you saw the scene, as you described yesterday, so so agonizingly. First of all, how are you and, and, and how are you, how is your family and community today? Uh, so first of all, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, second of all, uh, you know, when we're talking about my sister and my nephew, uh, you know, I don't consider myself a, a chief or a tribal chief. Uh, that's my work title. Uh, I'm a, I'm a relative, I'm a brother, uh, I'm an uncle and I'm speaking on behalf of my family. So, uh, my name is Mark Arcand and how I'm doing is, uh, I'm struggling, uh, uh, our entire family is struggling. Our t- entire family is devastated. As I mentioned yesterday, uh, we're broken, but we're not defeated. Uh, when we think about uh, uh, the community of Jane Smith, because I don't live in the community. My sister and my nephew did. Uh, they're about two hours away from where I live um, in Saskatoon. And uh, I know they're hurting, uh, but at the same time, uh, I can't speak for that community because uh, I'm not uh, I'm not from there. Uh, the only thing I can speak about is uh, my sister and uh, and Jonesy, as you refer to him. And uh, thank you for doing that because uh, that just uh, makes me smile because that's yeah. what we know him as. Yeah, I, I thought you painted a beautiful picture of him. Uh, uh, I'm going to just call you Mark and. Um... I felt we were all came, became part of your family when you talked about it, Mark. But you, you called your sister Bonnie a hero in those moments. She was probably a hero for many reasons. Can you? She she was a hero right in the end, though. She she faced her great moment of challenge like a hero, like a matriarch. Yeah, so uh, thank you for using those words. Uh, matriarch in our First Nations culture is, uh, you know, is our uh, is our mothers. Uh, they're our uh, providers. They're our givers of life. Uh, uh, they take care of the homestead. Uh, she had a beautiful home. She had a beautiful family. And uh, when you talk about uh, her as a hero, uh, 
as our family, we discussed this, and, and this is why. Uh, as, as yourself, as everybody that, that's listening out there has a home, that home is supposed to be a safe place for everyone, for your children, for yourself, your wife, your mother, your father, whatever it may be. And that home was uh, invaded by individuals. And at that moment, uh, Jonesy was uh, was attacked, uh, protecting his family as the oldest one of the family. Uh, her husband, uh, Buggy, uh, as we call him, uh, was out uh, providing for his family uh, as horse racing, as he always done in the summer, uh, through sport, through work, whatever it may be. So... She was at home, uh, she always was with the kids, uh, including her four children and uh, two foster kids. And uh, when these individuals came in, and thank you for mentioning, it's not about these individuals. It's about uh, these people that lost their lives to a nonsense uh, and senseless act uh, that, that was committed. And it's affected a lot of people. And when I talk about the home, uh, it's a safe place for everyone supposed to be it's supposed to be a safe place but their home was invaded uh she tried to protect her son uh he she was stabbed uh in her home uh, in front of her kids uh her 13 year old boy uh second oldest in the family was stabbed uh, in the neck uh he survived uh protecting his younger brothers uh the 11-year-old, or sorry, the 9-year-old was hiding behind a high chair watching this entire thing unfold in his own home, listening to the screams, the shouts, the chaos, the violence, the uh, everything that goes on with it. Uh, and I'm speaking of the words of uh, through uh, my nephew, who uh, spoke openly about this in a tragic situation. And... Uh, the young fellow, Jonesy, uh, went outside. Uh, he died. Uh, his mom went outside, and uh, that's where she was stabbed again by the individuals, and she never came inside. Jonesy, uh, Jonesy, I just want this to be clear as I speak to Mark Arcan, uh, his sister Bonnie and nephew, Gregory or Jonesy, as he's known, uh, were killed and other nephews wounded. This is like a, this is a nightmare scene, right? This is, like, this is, this is a nightmare and and it's and it's it's a graphic screaming i can't even imagine it but but jonesy also they're fighting to save their brothers mark they're fighting to save their brothers absolutely and uh that's uh that's the reality this is what people need to know uh just because uh, my family lived on a first nation reserve uh doesn't mean they're any less than anybody else uh, they're equal to every other person, uh, whether you live in a big city or a small town, they're equal. They're people just like everybody else. And uh, this tragedy has uh, affected uh, a lot of people. Uh, I was there the day of the crime scene, uh, 50 feet from my sister and my nephew uh, with my with my brother-in-law, my, uh, my sister's dad, uh, and, and my brother-in-law's cousin. Uh, watching this and wanting to go there to try to hug and touch and uh, be with my sister and couldn't do it because, uh, mm. like you said, it's like a movie scene. And I, I couldn't get it out of my mind uh, about how uh, 
how I couldn't even get to, to her, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, because understanding, and this is a natural reaction for everybody, anger is your first thought. Oh, yeah. That was my first thought. For sure. Uh, but had to had to allow the process uh, to go through. So a lot of respect for the RCMP uh, for doing what they did. It was a long process. Uh, but you're, you're in that. the process too, Mark. I just, I mean, I hope you're, you and your family are getting help because it's, you know, there's a tunnel ahead and you, I hope you're getting the help you need to deal with that. Cause it's going to be, it's a hell of a long tunnel you're in. Uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, there's a, uh, but it's not about me. It's about these kids. Right. What I explained about these kids, uh, they need help. Uh, we started a GoFundMe page for these kids uh, just because they need long-term sustainability of uh, talking to people. They need really top professionals because of what they went through. Uh, because we don't want their life to be destroyed because of this terrible incident. And if we don't get them help, it's going to be destroyed. Mark, and that's the focus. Let, let me offer you this. Anytime you want to join us on this national program, because there's not enough resources. You need help. You need to talk. You need to raise a voice. Your spot's open. You know that, okay? Whatever you need. We're here. Okay. Raise a voice. I mean it. You contact well, us. This is a spot for you. You, you. We're here for you and your family. We're sending you love. But if you need anything, you want to raise awareness about anything, you join me, okay? Well, let, let's be honest. I thank you for that. I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, we're not doing this for fame or glory. This is about helping people. My sister helped people. She took care of foster kids. She helped in the community. Uh, her family was, uh, and her kids were first and foremost. That's a matriarch. And I think other families are like that too. It doesn't matter if you're First Nations or not. That's mm. the reality. Mums are solid, right? Are. But she stood up to violent people to save her kids. Mark. And uh, and that's reality. And, and right now, if you want uh, if you want to know something, there's a GoFundMe page out there. Shelly Arcand is her name. Shelly Arcand. Okay. Shelly Arcand. Share, Put that out there, and uh, if people want to donate, they don't have to donate, you know. But having them understand and listen and, and be thoughtful of what's going on, uh, you you've got you you guys have my number. If you need to reach out to me and follow up, because uh, I'm. We're going to, as a family, we're going to go up a, a, a steep hill here. And we got to, you know, wait for our family members to be released from the corner and then uh, lay them to rest and then try to get these young kids help. Mm. Right? Try, uh, Mark Arcan, um, the sister, we're mourning with you. We're thinking about you. And we'll talk to you again. That's a promise, Mark. Um, sending you love and, and sending those kids love. Uh, folks, we got to take a break. We'll be back. Where you meet the people behind the story. It's the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. World leaders are expressing their concern for Queen Elizabeth. Um, look, we don't know, and we, it's very difficult to speculate exactly what's happening. We know the Queen is in a very serious medical condition. Our family's gathered around Buckingham Palace, around Balmoral Castle in Scotland. We're hearing from Buckingham Palace. These next minutes and hours, we're awaiting any update 
So this is one of those hope for the best, expect the worst. Queen Elizabeth II, who has sworn in 12 prime ministers. Aaron Wary, a journalist at CBC, has said 12 out of Canada's 23 prime ministers. Remarkable, right? Like it's a remarkable reign, 70 years. So we shall see in the next number of hours and maybe minutes what we're preparing for uh, when it comes to her condition and her health as the prime minister gives her his thoughts and prayers and, and, and all around the world the same for a remarkable woman. In the meantime, as we have one eye on that, there are now questions about the killer, the suspect in the mass stabbings, Miles Sanderson, he's dead. He was arrested Wednesday after a four-day manhunt that left 10 dead and then his brother and 11th. Through gory stabbings, we just spoke to Mark Arcan, the brother and the uncle of two of the victims. It was, I think, one of the most compelling and heartfelt and heart-rendering conversations we've had ever on this program. 19 other people stabbed. I mean, this was gruesome. So Sanderson is finally found south of Roth, uh, Rothstern, Saskatchewan. He's driving in a stolen truck. The alert goes out. There's video of him standing up, getting handcuffed and put in, and then he dies in medical distress. And the RCMP said almost nothing about it. Here's the RCMP Assistant Commissioner Rhonda Blackmore giving some details. Shortly after his arrest, he went into medical distress. Nearby, EMS were called by police to attend the scene, and he was transported to a hospital in Saskatoon. He was pronounced deceased at the hospital. Blackmore was asked, why can't they give more details about why he died in custody? Here's what she said. It's, it's just something I can't speak to the specific uh, manner of death. That's going to be part of the autopsy that will be conducted. Chris Lewis is the CTV uh, News public safety analyst and former OPP commish. Um, Chris, great to have you here. It's been a while. I, I don't understand this. The guy's in custody. What, what could happen when you put someone in custody? Don't you search them carefully and make sure that they don't have weapons or, or maybe a means like drugs to, or some kind of poison? Like, what's your thought about this? I don't know if we have Chris. Uh, is no, Chris... I'm, I'm there. I'm oh, here. Oh, go ahead, Chris. What's your thought on this? Yeah. Well, it, it could be a variety of things. I mean, number one, she, she's not going to say it if she doesn't know it because it'll never come back to bite her. So they obviously did not know. There was nothing really apparent. Um, was it a stab wound under the clothing that wasn't bleeding? That's not un, uncommon, actually, surprisingly. Uh, was it a heart attack? Was it a drug overdose? And then she, she's bound by similar rules that they have in Ontario with the Special Investigations Unit. Once it becomes an SIU case and they have a similar model in Saskatchewan, you're not allowed to speak to it, and it, which is frustrating as heck. Uh, she may have explained that all a little better in her answer, uh, but, you know, I've, I've screwed up press conferences myself, so it's easy to be an armchair quarterback, obviously. Uh, but I, I really don't think she's trying to hide anything. She was struggling to find the words uh, and, and better explain it for the public. Speaking at Chris Lewis about this, but Chris, what would happen when someone's in custody, a dangerous criminal like this, would they be frisking him? Like, tell me what, what because it's hard to reconcile the fact that he was standing up 
getting put in a car, and then next thing we know, he's dead. Yeah, and I get that. I certainly get the public uh, perception, the public concern. They would frisk him, absolutely, particularly given that he's a you know an alleged killer with knives. So they'd be searching pretty carefully. Uh, I, I tend to think, and, and the autopsy will show it one way or another, that something was going on with him the moment they got him out of that car. Was there some sort of an injury from the collision that didn't look that severe? Have we seen aortas break in car collisions? Uh, was it some other underlying health issue or an overdose? I mean, let's face it, you don't st- stab and kill 10 people or, or 29 in total without having some drugs sort of involved. So God only knows uh, what happened there. Was it something the police did to him? Well, that's uh, the, that's what people... Like, yeah. I don't know, but you, you, it may be that. It may, I mean... I just don't understand, you know, medical distress, and I know they can't comment, but it, you well, know, once you they got, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, if you or I had a heart attack right now, we people would be saying, well, they were docking away two seconds ago, and they're dead. Like, what happened? And, and it's nothing, not necessarily something untoward. That's why there'll be an independent investigation. That's why there'll be an autopsy that'll be supervised by the independent investigation team. And we're going to know at some point what, what whether the, there was something done wrong by that million police officers that were there and witnessed it all. Can't imagine it, but uh, that's why there's an independent investigation to try and clear the air for the public. But I get the concern. It just kind of seems so weird. But I'm at my last page uh, pension check that the police did nothing wrong. It just it'll be explainable. Chris, does it raise the the question of you know I know the rules and I just got about thirty seconds here. Should the should they be more transparent? Well, I wish they could. And having been there, there's times I wanted to speak up and say, our officer was sitting on the side of the road minding his own business. Someone drove into him and died. And now our officer is under investigation. But I couldn't say that. I had to wait for SIU to say, and sometimes that takes months. So equally frustrating for police leaders as it is for the public. And sometimes the police leaders just need to say all they can without breaking the rules. And sometimes they don't. Well, kind of a remarkable uh, series of events. Finally, look, the ordeal is over. It was so traumatic for the community. The trauma continues. Sure. Uh, and and I, whatever thoughts you have, uh, spare them for the deceased and the wounded in those communities. Chris Lewis, uh, always good, sir. You're, you're just invaluable. I appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. It's always a pleasure. Take yeah. care. That's Chris Lewis. That's Scott Reed, uh, overhyped and underplayed. There is some word that Buckingham Palace may have a statement coming soon. We're on the lookout for that. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the the big show. Look, there's no sugarcoating it. The world is on edge. Waiting news about Queen Elizabeth II. 70 years, she ascended to the throne. She was actually coronated in 1953. A remarkable, towering figure of stability, of resilience, of dignity. Very few people have managed to ride the high above the sloshing waves of scandals, celebrity, salaciousness that plague anybody, especially the royal family, and yet remain undiminished the way Queen Elizabeth II has done for seven decades and more now. Uh, 
as their family gathers around Balmoral Castle, we are waiting news imminently on her health. And a statement that we are hearing will come soon from Buckingham Palace. And while we hope for the best, we are braced for the worst. Normally at this time, we would do overhyped and underplayed with Scott Reed, our CTV News political commentator, former communications director for the prime minister. Uh, then uh, Paul Martin. Um, and um, I'm going to bring him in, though, because, look, whatever people like to think about the monarchy, whatever people think about the colonial uh, elements and liniments of that, the Queen is a different person. I think she is universally beloved, Scott, and, and here we are on the precipice of a, of a monumental change, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on what we're seeing now, the likes of which I don't think we will ever see again. I, I agree with all of that. I don't know how it can be disputed. I mean, a 70-year reign, um, you know, post-World War II, all of the changes that our world has experienced, um, you know, guiding Britain through its post-Second World War resurgence. Okay, sorry, Scott, I think we're, we're going to have a listen now. Um, there's an announcement about Her Majesty right now. We have breaking news. Chris, can we have breaking news? Um, let me just see. Um, okay. Um, okay. So that we thought we had breaking news. It's not that that is breaking news from the, 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 the interrupted parliament today to, um, in Britain to wish the best. Uh, they're worried that is not any news about the Queen South. Scott, I'm sorry. We're all on edge here. Uh, as, as we try to wait for news, we thought that that was something else. Uh, continue on Scott boy, our, our hearts are in our mouths. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, well, naturally, and this is, you know, a, a moment that the world is literally watching. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that the fundamental thought that I have is, um, you know, the, the the queen is her own history. I mean, you know, it's not like, oh, well, there goes history. No, she is her own history. She's the history of this post-Second World War world, uh, the Western world. And with all of that comes you know, all sorts of legacies. There's colonial uh, colonization. There's, you know, the treatment here in Canada of our own indigenous people and the role that the crown literally and figuratively plays in all of that. But, you know, there is, as you were mentioning earlier, this enormous resilience, the stability that she herself has come to personify, particularly, I think, in later life, these last two, three decades. And, um, and I just think about her passing, uh, assuming that that's, you know, how we're going to end this day or tomorrow or a day in the not too distant future, how it affects, you know, a world that seems to be turning on its institutions. Our institutions are either under direct attack by forces that wish to undermine them or they're decaying and fraying. And this institution now, um, you know, we're a constitutional monarchy. It's going to have to uh, meet the test of regenerating itself. She provided a bulwark, and that bulwark is about to be removed. And I, I think it's, um, I think people who have no time or interest in the monarchy will nevertheless feel the ripples of that instability. I think there's so much here, but stability has become a scarce resource in 2022. Yes. Institutions are on fire. The planet's on fire. Things that you could count on are changing. 
literally the earth itself, let alone the kind of accidents of the flesh, as it were, the the institutions that people rely on. Jobs are transitory. Things you could count on. There's doubts in science. We are in the age of a backlash, the age of the uh, democracies pitting each other neighbor against neighbor. There are so much instability, and there are very few signs left of of these kind of stability. Someone who's met Mao Zedong, somebody who, you know, goes back to the 1947 when she was married and, you know, this post-war, and she has been with us as this faith in something that is continuous and sustainable and dignified and we just don't have that many. In fact, I can't think of a single one other than her who's living. Uh, I agree with that. It's hard to. Uh, she has gotten to an age and to a place where she's peerless, literally. And you know that's why I think this is a more profound shift than we might think of it. Um, and I know I fall into the risk of sounding like you know I'm a you know Scottish descendancy and uh, you know old white guy from Eastern Ontario, but I. <laughs> From Prince, Ed, that, from Prince Edward County, no less. I mean, you're, you're real. United Empire Loyalist Country, right. my friend. There you and, go. Uh, listen, my, my Aunt Marg, uh, whose home I was practically raised in, uh, had a portrait of the Queen hanging in her house. I mean, that's, you know, that that's what that, how profound and how um, intimate that connection was for so many Canadians for so, so long of that generation. But I, you know, I think the institutions that, you know, you're talking about, we have in some ways for this past 25 years, because of the perseverance of the queen, I think we've given it a pass. You know, some people shrug their shoulders. There are obviously there are Republicans, um, but I think that there's been a, a kind of a respectful distance uh, on that question and because of the queen herself. Um, but I think people will judge a contemporary uh, much more challengingly. Like I think that Charles is in for a hell of a ride. I think that people will say, I don't know um, what I thought seemed acceptable and familiar under the ages of an old very elderly lady, um, now feels anachronistic and strange yeah. under the guidance of a middle-aged man. I'm not willing to accept it. What, what, what is this? You know, and, and I just, it's, it's going to be enormously challenging. I think that, you know, British society right now is in an absolute upheaval between Brexit, social disruption, and the economic chaos that is much more sharply felt than it is here. And it's felt here sharply. I, I just think you compound this event, constitutional, psychological, historical, cultural. I, I This is a big deal. And uh, even though, you know, my son might look at me and shake his head and say, dad, like who, like who cares about the queen? Like that's a far away and distant thing. I, I but think, think, about, but think about that. We all care. Yeah. And, and, and think about that. Your son, my kids, they're raised under the queen. The queen's on their money, too, but also on their parents' money and their grandparents' money and their great-grandparents' money and their great-great-grandparents. I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable, right? This 70 years is, is a remarkable, right? But you're saying something, I think, and Scott, I totally agree with you, that these institutions are inextricably bound to the personality of the queen, and she is the buttress of them. And when she is gone, these other personalities uh, who have been significantly 
tarnished by scandal and all the modern day um, dirt that flies, uh, I don't know. I don't predict the resiliency of the monarchy and and the, the the necessary revisionism and examination required if they can withstand that. But of course, that is a conversation to come. Uh, today, the conversation is. Um, you know, she used to stand on the foundations of these institutions. I think these institutions now stand on the foundations of Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, anyway, long may she reign. Scott Reed, um, we didn't get to do overhyped and under, uh, underrated, but you cannot overhype the Queen. Thank you, my good friend. Scott Reed. Um, we'll take a break. Um, lots, lots still to come on the program. I know Dan Riskin is here, but obviously we've got one eye on what is happening uh, in Scotland right now. Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Justin Trudeau was about to speak about um, new GST rebates and, and rent payments. And he was, this is the new affordability plan and maybe a national dental care plan that he was going to launch with the NDP is part of their deal, and he's supposed to speak about 40 minutes ago, and he's not. And, of course, one of the reasons he's not speaking is because there's deep concerns about Queen Elizabeth and her health, and everyone's speculating that the reason he's not speaking is they don't want to be speaking when and if there is an announcement about the Queen. So they're not making that announcement. They're not making an announcement that would have dental care coverage for kids under the age of 12 with a family income of less than $90,000, which was the deal with the NDP, um, supposed to be five years, $5 billion. But no chance on that yet. And maybe a GST-HST tax credit, no details yet, because it's canceled. So we have an eye on on Balmoral Castle in in, uh, Scotland, where the Queen is currently surrounded by doctors and her her family. So while we await any more word of that, and we wish her well, and we've spoken about her a lot today, I want to speak about something else. The Queen is a uniting figure. There are many countries and peoples who despise the monarchy and the colonial past. I totally appreciate that. There is, no one's going to defend British colonialism. But the Queen, this is a day to speak about Queen Elizabeth, and we're going to talk about her remarkable life. But I want to speak about divisions, because if the Queen is a unifying figure... There's fears, and, and Scott Reed and I were just talking about this, right? In, in a time of deep divisions, what people love about the Queen is that she's worked to unite people. But in the Quebec election going on right now, and, and you should be paying attention to that because it's a fascinating, Francois Legault, who is the current, the incumbent premier, the head of the CAQ, the CAC, Coalition Avenir Quebec, was making a speech 
I'm going to play it for you. Now, it's French, but I'll translate it first for you. Oh, we don't have the clip. Okay, so we don't have the clip. That's okay. It's French, so maybe our, our some some folks can uh, in Quebec and, and, and parts of the country may may understand it. But he was speaking French when he said that extremism and violence are some reason to limit immigration. And there's a big debate in Quebec whether or not they should limit immigration to 50,000, even though there's a massive job shortage. And, and most economists say that they need more immigrants. And then Legault was asked why he was only going to keep Quebec's immigration levels lower than 50,000. And he said, quote, in, in French, Quebecers are peaceful. They don't like conflict and extremism and violence. And we have to make sure to keep things the way they are now. Well, that led to an explosion. What? What does that mean, Premier? We got to keep immigration low because we don't like conflict and extremism and violence. Are you linking conflict, extremists, and violence to immigration? Yes, you are. So he tweeted out a response saying immigration is a richness for Quebec. Integration will always be a challenge for a French-speaking nation in North America. I didn't mean to associate immigration with violence. I'm sorry if my comments cause confusion. My desire is to unite. Let's unpack that. One, is it good that a politician apologized? Answer, yes. What you said, Premier, was objectively divisive and wrong. There is no evidence that immigration leads to extremism, violence, and conflict. So I'm glad that you apologized and attempted to clarify. But when you say you didn't mean to associate immigration with violence, you did mean to. You did. And we know because of the law in Quebec, the secularization law, where you stand on these values. We know that you've invoked the notwithstanding clause to ban public servants like teachers and prosecutors from wearing any religious symbol at work. And you did it in June of 2019. And when you did that, as it's now law, but it's, it's popularly known as Bill 21, you had to invoke the notwithstanding clause, knowing this would infringe on the charter rights of freedom of religion. And you know that it was targeted not just at people who were wearing crosses, but people wearing hijabs. And it was widely seen that way and for obvious reasons. Now, it's popular in Quebec. That doesn't mean it's right. 
But the idea that the same premier who knows he's violating the Constitution, who requires the use of the notwithstanding clause in order to ban public servants like teachers and prosecutors from wearing a religious symbol. So you have to choose between your job as a teacher and your hijab and your yarmulke and your turban and your crucifix. Then comes out and says, I, I certainly didn't mean to suggest that immigrants are extremists and violent. But you did. And that is why in the election, the liberal leader, Dominic Anglade, said, this guy's creating division. Listen to what uh, Dominic Anglade said. It's very degrading for immigrants. So uh, I, I want him to explain himself. Well, he should explain himself. And I'm glad he, again, he has explicitly apologized, and, and, and I'm glad he did. I'm sorry if my words have been confusing, but it is, this, is a, this is right on the line. When you sort of say something and then kind of you know, tweet out a walk back. Quebecers need immigrants, by the way. And they, they, they allow between forty and 50,000 annually in that, that particular province. But this is not going to help. The restrictive language laws, I understand that. My kids both live in Quebec. I lived in Quebec for a while. My wife works in Quebec. I have endless empathy for making sure the language is healthy. I don't mind that. I have no problem with that. Distinct society, yes. People who don't believe it's a distinct society never lived there. You know, when you watch television... Uh, and you're an Anglophone, you can travel all over North America and you'll know the same songs. Hey, do you know Stevie Wonder songs? Hey, do you know? Yeah, you know all the same songs and you know the same television shows. Go to, if you never lived in Quebec, go hang out on St. Jean-Baptiste and how many songs can you sing? How many songs that they'll be singing? There'll be 25,000 people in the crowd all singing the same song. And if you're not a Quebecer, you won't know it. So I don't have no problem saying there's a society's distinct. Distinct doesn't mean better. It just means, yeah, it's objectively different. And deserves the preservation. So I, I'm empathetic with that. But I'm not empathetic when that line turns into soft peddling xenophobia. And that's a hell of a thing to let out in the middle of an election by the premier. Legault. And I'm glad he's apologized. But he better expect blowback from that. Because that is insulting. And terrifying for immigrants to hear that being an immigrant is associated with violence and extremism when it is not true. You could text me at 71010 what, what you think he said, but my God, is this what we're coming to? We'll take a break. Breaking news. Queen Elizabeth II has died peacefully at Balmoral Castle this afternoon. The king and the queen consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. The royal family has just announced that Queen Elizabeth II, at the age of 96, has passed away peacefully this afternoon in Balmoral Castle in Scotland, just two days ago, she swore in the new Prime Minister of England, 
And now, Buckingham Palace and the royal family has released a statement that the Queen has died peacefully this afternoon. Seventy years she remained, she reigned over the Commonwealth as a towering figure of dignity and respect. Prince Charles and his wife Camilla are now known as the Queen, the King and the Queen Consort. And they will remain at Balmoral and return to London tomorrow. Let us now go to our colleague John Moore, who has an obituary honoring Queen Elizabeth II, who died peacefully today in Scotland. It is with great pleasure that I welcome you all here this evening. She was born to be a queen, just not as soon as she and her family may have thought. Queen Elizabeth was third in line to the throne when she was born in 1926. A romantic fluke in history accelerated her accession. In 1937, her uncle, the king, abdicated the throne to marry the woman he loved. His brother, a retiring man with a stutter, became the king, and an 11-year-old Elizabeth became the heir apparent. Her Royal Highness, Princess Elizabeth. In wishing you all good evening, I feel that I am speaking to friends and companions. Unlike most royal marriages, hers was actually a love match. She fell madly for a handsome Greek prince named Philip, a man with a title but not a country. They married in 1947. In 1952, her father, already in poor health, accompanied the couple to the airport to send them off on a world tour. He would go home and die. This is London. The king passed peacefully away in his sleep earlier this morning. She had left England. A princess would return dressed in black, a queen. And she puts on the great golden mantle, the imperial robe. Her majesty... And with power from on high. It's hard to overstate how much the notion of royalty and the rule of the British royals has changed during her reign, the longest of any crowned head in modern history. The Queen came to power in an age where royals had little contact with regular people, where divorced people couldn't be presented at court, and when a royal would never do an interview. I keep a diary, but it's not really a diary like Queen Victoria's, you know, or as... as detailed as that. It's quite small. Today, the Queen's two grandsons are married to commoners, and all but two of her children are divorced and remarried. The Queen has endured many trials, the disastrous marriage of Charles and Diana, Diana's death, Harry and Meghan quitting what is often called the firm, Windsor Castle burned, she's been shot at, she woke up to a man sitting on the end of her bed, she buried her father, her sister, her mother, and last year sat alone in a chapel at the funeral of her husband of 73 years. The impact of the environment on human progress was a subject close to the heart of my dear late husband, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. Queen Elizabeth is a through line of 20th century history. She served in the Second World War and knew every post-war Canadian Prime Minister but one. Thank you, Mr. Prime Minister of Canada, for making me feel so old. (laughs) Privately, she's always been said to be playfully funny, often putting people at ease with a quick line, signaling to her staff that she's done with a meeting by moving her purse. 
Through it all, she's embodied virtues that many now see as old-fashioned. Duty, service, discretion, stoicism. Queen Elizabeth was a link from a time when people still remembered the reign of Queen Victoria to an era where the royals are on the front pages of Us magazine and settling with sex scandal victims. Her death is the end of an era that may have actually started to end some time ago. Your Majesty, Mummy, three resounding cheers for Her Majesty the Queen. Hip, hip! Hip hip. John Moore, a tribute to Queen Elizabeth. The news just breaking minutes ago that Queen Elizabeth II passed away peacefully at her favorite place, Balmoral Castle in Scotland, 1926 to 19 to 2022. 96 years, 70 years of reign. The Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, will be speaking in about half an hour to make a statement. Statements will pour in from around the world. She has been Canada's monarch for 70 years. And of course, there are going to be a chain of events from stamps to currency that will have to change as... The new king, Charles, ascends to the throne right now. In fact, I should tell you that there literally is a plan called Operation London Bridge that Buckingham Palace now has put into effect where the member countries of the Commonwealth are informed about what has happened. The governor general probably knew a little while ago, as we we imagine the Prime Minister did. That's why he cancelled his appearance. And the Governor General will issue a proclamation. We know very soon. Then, so we'll hear from Mary Simon's office, the Canadian Governor General. There will be days of mourning. I'm looking out the window here, uh, and in minutes, the... um, Flag over Parliament and all flags at federal buildings will go to half-mast. And it has been 70 years since the death of a, of a monarch. But this is going to be remarkable. Um, there'll be condolences books. Um, the Prime Minister will likely, and, and, and so will the, uh, the Premier's, will be suspending their legislation, their legislative assemblies for some time. We don't know. It doesn't necessarily cancel the sessions, but they will be suspended for a while. And, and some kind of, a you know, obviously uh, Parliament's not back yet here federally, but certainly in the provinces. Um, and then there will be lots of changes. Portraits of the Queen over time will will be replaced with portraits of the King and Uh, The $20 bill where Queen Elizabeth is featured on will eventually be replaced. Not immediately, obviously. The currency is still valid. And then, of course, there will be a funeral and um, Canada's representative, our High Commissioner, Ralph Goodell, in London. The Prime Minister, many ministers will be there, former Prime Ministers, former Governor Generals, um, 
will be there. And it's a solemn moment. It's a moment of great sadness, not because it's tragic that she lived an extraordinarily long and healthy life, a life of service right to the end where she swore in the last UK prime minister two days ago. She was committed to her duties literally to the very end until her passing. It is not tragedy, but it is sadness. It is not tragedy, but it is transformation that is very painful. She was, and it's hard to believe we're already using the past tense, a remarkable, unprecedented person. And as John Moore talked about, at the age of 96, after 70 years, she's lived her life in the public. And and you have to appreciate that when she was born on April 21st, 1926, at 17 Bretton Street in London, 1926, what a different world that was. The First World War was just in the rearview mirror. The Roaring Twenties were on and the Great Depression was nigh, just about to happen. The Second World War was not yet done. It was a totally different world. When she was christened at a private chapel in Buckingham Palace. And then, of course, I mean, these are things that my parents or grandparents would know about. It seemed like ancient history when Edward VIII, her uncle, abdicated because he fell in love with Wallace Simpson on December 11th, 1936. It it roiled the world, shook the foundations of the monarchy. And I'm going to talk about the foundations of the monarchy. And then Queen Elizabeth, well, then Elizabeth's father, George VI, becomes the king. You've all seen the King's Speech, the movie that talked about how he overcame his stutter. And the 10-year-old Queen Elizabeth suddenly was in line next to be queen. She marries Philip Mountbatten. In 1947, they have four children, Charles, Anne, Andrew, and Edward. It was just a year ago, April 2021, that Philip died at the age of 99. But soon her own father passes in 1952. And she was on a royal tour in Kenya then. And she becomes crowned in 1953 in Westminster Abbey, the first televised coronation. And that is Queen Elizabeth She becomes Queen Elizabeth in a new world, 1953, the world of the Cold War. A world dominated by Stalin and Mao and and, and these traumatic figures. Churchill still ruled. Can you imagine? And yet here we are in 2022, 15 prime ministers later. 14 U.S. presidents later. And in a peaceful afternoon in her favorite place in Scotland, surrounded by her family, Queen Elizabeth II passes away. 
And when she ascended to the throne, she ascended on the foundations of the monarchy, a young woman of 21. And she stood on the foundation of the monarchy and the foundations of the monarchy celebrated and supported her. But by 70 years and the modern age ripping those foundations, it is the monarchy that now stands on the foundations of Queen Elizabeth II. It is the monarchy's foundations that are built upon her. And without her, those foundations become significantly more precarious. And in a modern age where people have doubts about all institutions, questions about can Charles and then William sustain the dignity and the relevancy of the monarchy will be asked, and they're real. Because she went from standing on the foundations of the monarchy to being the foundation of the monarchy. And there is no doubt about it. And whether you are in the 15 realms of the Commonwealth, like Canada and the UK and Australia and New Zealand, and, or maybe you're in one of the Caribbean islands, Jamaica or Antigua or Grenada or Belize or the Bahamas, or maybe you're in St. Lucia or St. Vincent or the Grenadines. Or maybe you're out in Papua New Guinea or the Solomon Islands or St. Kitts or Nevis. Today is a monumental day, but there'll be questions. What is the future of the monarch? I want to bring on... Corrine Hall, an historian, a broadcaster, and consultant specializing in royal history. She is in the UK. Um, Corrine, um, what, what a monumental moment. Uh, put, it, put it into some perspective for us. The moment that the kingdom the, heard, the Commonwealth heard that Queen Elizabeth II had passed. Well, we just had a statement on the BBC read out from Buckingham Palace that, to say that the Queen died peacefully this afternoon. And... Uh, Nobody was really expecting this. I mean, she looked frail on Tuesday when she uh, greeted the new incoming prime minister. And then yesterday, it was announced that she'd uh, postponed a meeting of the Privy Council, which is an important meeting. So that sort of rang alarm bells. And then this morning, we heard that Prince Charles had cancelled a meeting in Scotland and had gone to Balmoral. So that rang more alarm bells. And then nothing until lunchtime when they said that the Queen was under medical supervision. Nobody really... Saw it coming. We thought she was frail, but not this, you know. It's a terrible shock to everybody. Terrible shock. It is everybody a shock. Pieces. Yeah. I mean, I mean, pieces. it's not a shock in the sense that she was 96, but it, what, what is, and this is a testament to her, her wondrous resiliency and dignity that oh, even yeah. at yeah. Balmoral, she swore in the new prime minister, Liz Trust, and everyone thought, well, you know, she's of course 96, she might be frail, but my goodness, she's... Um, ineffable and yet yeah today we we didn't see it coming as i said you know we thought it would be a sort of gentle downhill thing and everybody you know there'd be concerns about the health and it would go on and on and on and on and then you know we'd get some sort of warning 
but you know there was no warning the only thing i noticed there were pictures of members of the royal family arriving at balmoral and there was a close-up of the earl and countess of wessex in the back of the car and i looked at the countess's eyes and sophie looked really distraught and mm. that made me wonder that was this afternoon and by the sound of it by the time they arrived at balmoral the queen had already died i should think but um i don't know but that that did ring bells with me. She did look distraught, but yeah. you know, we just didn't see it. We thought, you know, that it would perhaps drag on a bit, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, this is it, and we have we now have a king. We now have a king. Uh, yeah. Here we are in, in 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 Ottawa here in Canada on the Eastern Time at one fifty one, and and I only say that because it's a new era, and I think it's a new era not just because we, there's a new king, but as I said, she began her reign standing on the foundations of the monarchy, and I think the monarchy stands on the foundations of Queen Elizabeth II. She's a, Absolutely. She's, she's a remarkable person. Um, give us a sense of, of her resonance there and how this resonates um, with you as I speak to Corrine Hall, historian, broadcaster, and, and, and specialist in royal history. I think she's going to be a very difficult act to follow, I mean, I know Charles has been trained for this all his life, and he's now king. But I think the Queen, having reigned for 70 years, it's going to be very difficult. Most people have known nobody else. It, she has always been there, this symbol of continuity, of stability, of service, of duty. And there's been her the whole time. Whenever anything's happened, a pandemic, any disaster, anything, there's always been the Queen. And now I think people are going to be very much at sea for a while. It's going to be very, very difficult to get used to someone else. What, what are we expected to see now? Uh, we know, we had an idea, Corinne, about 45 minutes ago, our prime minister was set to give an economic announcement. He canceled it. Uh, there had been reports around his cabinet that people were already uh, wearing black bands. We know uh, other countries will find out. So we, we assume something terrible was in the offing here. What will we see now in terms of, what are we expected to see in terms of announcements from Buckingham Palace? I know uh, the new King Charles will go back, say, the night at Balmoral and return to Buckingham Palace tomorrow. What will we expect to see in terms of a funeral and, and how, how she will be both uh, be mourned and celebrated? Well, the first thing that happens is that Charles will go back, as you say, to London. And at St. James's Palace, he will be proclaimed king and there will be an accession council where he is formally proclaimed king as well. As regards the funeral, it'll probably be the biggest state funeral you've ever seen. I can't imagine it will be anything less. The um, plans have been in place for a number of years, as you can imagine. Rehearsals have been going on for years and years and years, very early in the morning, as you can imagine. Nothing goes unplanned in this country. And I think it will be the biggest event you have ever, ever seen in your life because the Queen was so well respected by everybody around the world. She was probably the most famous figure on the planet. So, you know, it's not going to go unnoticed. There will be a, a lying in state, I would imagine, at Westminster Hall or somewhere like that. And people will flock to London to file past the coffin like they did with the Queen Mother. Then there'll be a parade through London and then... They will go by train to Windsor and she'll be buried by Prince Philip in St. George's Chapel. Maybe not only the most famous, but possibly the most beloved figure in the planet right now. Um, yes, yes. Can, can I, you know, what's remarkable, um, Corinne, there's emotion in your voice. Um, and one of the remarkable things about um, Queen Elizabeth is how she was so personally 
people felt very close to her personally, as if it's yes. a member of their family, not just their queen. Yes. That's right. She was like the nation's grandmother, in effect. I suppose that's it, really. A lot of people have been saying that she, she's like the nation's grandmother, because she was always there. As I said, when there was a disaster, when the pandemic hit, you know, she gave that famous speech, we will meet again, you know, everything's going to be all right, sort of thing. And, you know, people loved her and they trusted her. And as I said, we're all in, absolutely in pieces. You're in pieces. Do you, did yeah. you ever get a chance to meet her? I mean, I had an opportunity. No, I didn't, I didn't meet the Queen. I met the Queen Mother, but not the Queen. She was I, I actually had the last private audience given by the Queen Mother. You did? That's, that's another story, yeah. I never actually met the Queen, no. Uh, I mean, she also had a remarkably long life, the wonderful Queen Mother, as did uh, yes, Prince Philip, right. of course, uh, the, the Royal Consort at 99. He just passed yeah. in April. I mean, Long-lived family. Long-lived family, but, but I guess the question is, no, it's too early to say, and, and we're speculating now because we're still in the grip of the raw emotion of all this, but, but Corrine... The, the question is, I think this will be more than just the mourning of a loss of a person. This, and an era, you yes. wonder about the resiliency of the monarchy itself after her. It, it is the end of an era, definitely. And as I said, she's going to be a very difficult act to follow. And people have got to get used to a new monarch. That's going to be difficult. Everyone has new titles. Prince William eventually will be proclaimed Prince of Wales. And Kate will be the Princess of Wales, that sort of thing. So it's sort of all changed. The hierarchy changes. Um, it's all going to be different, and it's very difficult to get to grips with it at the moment. But that's what's going to happen over a, a period. You know, they, they all change titles and change the pecking order and that sort of thing. It's raining in uh, London right now, raining in Scotland. It's, it's raining here in Hampshire in the south of England. It was bucketing down earlier, and I looked outside and I thought, God, even the weather's crying. Yeah, even even the skies are weeping, and yes, that yes, that exactly. that pathetic fallacy of the the, the weather mirroring people's hearts. I yeah. imagine the flowers around Buckingham Palace, which we have seen before, yeah, will be will. will be a Mount Everest. Yes, I would imagine the same sort of thing will happen. I can only imagine it will. Yeah, it's a shattering. So loved and respected. By everybody, you know. Uh, Corrine Hall, historian, broadcaster, thank you um, for spending a few minutes with us. Um, your, just just the, the personal emotion you feel, I think, is shared by uh, tens of millions of people uh, in the Commonwealth and around the world um, for the loss of Queen Elizabeth II. Thank you for yeah. your perspective. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Queen Elizabeth II. passed away peacefully at the age of 96. Chris, when we have about a minute left in the program, and, and, and you let me know, we're going to end the program today doing something I never thought we would do. But we are going to play God Save the Queen as you are about to embark on the next series of days, weeks, talking about Queen Elizabeth who passed away um, just minutes ago, we learned the news. After 70 years, long may she reign. We will speak tomorrow. Um, CTV will have specials, as will iHeartRadio, as we mark the passing of a giant, Queen Elizabeth II, and the end of an era. 